Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything going on in the world of sports. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He is the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of sports, and we definitely want to keep that conversation rolling with you, so make sure to swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join in the conversation after the show on social media. We are very active on there. We have all our links up there, so we definitely want to be interacting with you. There's a lot to go over. Also, while you're at the website, check out Parlay Points, complimentary blogs to the podcast, the T Public Store, the Classifieds, the... The directory. There is so much there. I'm forgetting about it. That's why I'm telling you. Just go to odphpodcast.com and find out for yourself. And also remember, use on social media the hashtag odphpod. Kicking off this edition of the podcast, though, we have to officially put a bow on the end of the regular season of the NFL. Uh huh. Week 18. How weird is that to say? It's weird to hear. It's weird to say. But if we keep getting end results like we did this year, I'm all for it. I am too because the NFL really booked this week very well. Yeah. A lot of very interesting timing. The fact that we could have had two teams kneel for like four hours or however long an NFL game would have been and tie and both of them made the playoffs was the wildest shit I've ever heard in some time. Yeah, they booked interesting timing for most of the games and it's just... Weird circumstance, but it is what it is. So we have to recap the week that was with our locks and leaps. So, Pad, kick us off. Yeah, so I'm going to start with our lock because we had the same game because we both uh, got this one wrong. Uh, we thought it would go a different way. Uh, we both thought the New England Patriots would beat the Dolphins. That is not the case. Uh, my, with Miami winning by the final score of 33-24. to uh, Tua Tagovailoa, 15 of 22 for 109 yards passing, one touchdown, no interceptions. Mac Jones, 20 of 30 for 261 yards passing, one touchdown, one interception. Uh, Duke Johnson, have yourself a game for Miami. Uh, 25 carries, 117 yards rushing, one touchdown. Uh, and then for the receiving core, really nothing much. Oh, shut up, watch. Uh, you know, their leading rece- uh, receiver was Durham Smythe. Uh, two catches, 32 yards, no touchdowns. I think Bill Belichick was trying to chime in to you to explain what happened on this game because be. this was a little puzzling to me. Yeah. Because I had said on this show, and I will stand firm by my statement of it too, this should have been New England all day. Because mm-hmm. they knew the stakes that were involved. They knew that if they had won, they would clinch the AFC East if Buffalo had lo- lost to the Jets. Yeah. This was all for seeding too, because at this point, we only knew that Miami was in, or I'm sorry, New England was in the playoffs. Yep. Didn't know seeding set up. So yep. there was a lot riding on this. And the performance we got from Mac Jones was very, very questionable. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say the kid isn't allowed to have a bad game. No. And I know that people have said, well, we were apologizing a lot for Mac. Listen, the one thing that you have to look at with this kid is he's thrown into this organization. Mm-hmm. He's the heir apparent in a lot of people's eyes to Tom Brady. It's it's possibly the highest expectations for a quarterback 
a rookie has had in quite some time. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot that rides on his shoulders. And I think that he's played very well this season. Yeah, all, all things considered. All things considered. He's exceeded expectations for me. I, I, at the start of the season, you know, wasn't, I didn't fool myself that I, I thought we'd be in a chance. You know, I never thought we'd get the division. Mm-hmm. I didn't think we'd have a chance to get in into the division. You know, I'm looking at the spreadsheet I typed up when we were doing our NFL preview special with Rich, you know, back in August. You know, and for the playoffs, I did not. Or no, I did. I had the Patriots making the wild card. You know, I did not think for any way, shape, or form that the Patriots would contend for the division title. I'm like, listen, we'll we'll be fine, but it's a question of can Mac pull off some games here or there. You know, I never thought, you know, we'd be on the final week of the season being like, you know what? If you win and Buffalo loses, you get the division. Never thought it. No, and that's a fair statement because obviously with the pedigree that goes on with Bill Belichick, a lot is expected from the team. He has that kind of aura yeah. that he turns a lot of mediocre players into great players. Mm-hmm. And he took and he takes good players and turns them into superstars. He asks a lot out of his players, but that's because he knows what they have the potential to do. Right. So Mac has a lot riding on his shoulders, and this was a game that I'm not saying he cracked under the pressure because I don't think that's a fair statement, but I think that he was trying to press too much. Yeah, they got behind early. Yep, he made a very bad pick six. Yeah. And he never looked right after that. Yeah, because Miami came out, you know, with like a 13-play, 77-yard, you know, touchdown uh, drive, which lasted all just, you know, a couple seconds shy of seven and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as a rookie, he's got to be sitting there going, shit, this ain't good, you know. So then he gets a little rushed. He gets a little nervous because, let's face it, he is a rookie. You know, he is prone to do that. You know, so then you had the pick six, and then, you know, Patriots get the ball back, you know, then they punt, you know. So it was just a hit, and this has happened a couple games this year where it's just they got behind, you know, I think the one I can remember was the uh, New Orleans game. Mm -hmm. You know, they got behind early, and then they just tried too little too late to come back from it. And that's a fair statement. I mean, it's just something that they did try coming back, and they were in this game until the fourth quarter. Yeah. So it's not like Miami was running away with it and and New England just couldn't come back with a game plan. No. But it was just too little too late after Miami got out to that hot start. Tua's stat line is good, but it's nothing to write home about 109 yards. One touchdown. He averaged five yards a pass. He got sacked the one time. Uh, had a QBR of 68.5. You know, it's nothing sexy. No, it's definitely nothing sexy. So that's why when I'm hearing this, I'm going, this was a good win for him. Yeah. Take nothing away. It was a solid win to build some confidence for him. But it's not like they decided to drop 53. No. And they it, it was only, shut it was, out the Patriots. It was only 17-7 at halftime, you know, which you're still in it. And then, you know, Patriots came back and put up 17 points in the second half. You know, so it was a good it was a good performance and it looked good for Tua, but it's not exactly anything you're going to remember in the annals of history. No, absolutely not. And for all the crying that, well, Miami was a better team than their record showed, I will stress this again. You played cupcakes. Exactly. This was a real playoff t- a team that you faced, uh-huh. and you showed up. Congratulations. This is one of the best wins you've had all season. Broken clock is right twice a day. Exactly, but for your 8-0 run there that you had, and I do not care about the conspiracy theories about quarterbacks with the letter O involved in the name or whatever that yeah. just weird yeah. stat is. It's a, it's it's listen, it's one of those freak instances. Right, it doesn't really mean anything because this team 
did what they should do against bad teams, and that's beat them. You beat the uh, beat the Texans. They're a bad team. Mm-hmm. You beat the Jets. Bad team. You beat Carolina. Bad team. You beat the Giants. Enough said. Yeah. You know, and then you you did beat, you know, you got two. And during that stretch, you did get one quality win, I would say, and that's against the Baltimore Ravens. Absolutely. You know, I'll, which, I'll give them that which one. Which at the time, you know, they're looking real good. And then, you know, the Baltimore Ravens are looking real good. No, they should stomp the Dolphins. And then, hey, the Dolphins snuck one out. Hey, that's a good win for you. You know, so take that one off the board. But the rest of them, cupcakes. Exactly. So this team was playing above their head. Tua, at least for him, got to build some confidence. And yeah. I will say this. I I think it's very well known I'm not a Miami fan by any stretch of the imagination. Hell would freeze over first. Exactly. But I am happy to see this kid rebound from how they handled him last year. Yeah. And I think that now, whatever his future may hold, and we'll get into that when we break down about the coaching carousel next segment. Yeah. I think for Tua, he definitely has a future somewhere. It's not going to be in Miami, though. No. And I think for him, I think that he really enhanced his stock. Yeah. And I think wherever he winds up is going to be beneficial for him. I hope he gets the chance to sit behind somebody and really hone his skills because he showed he can lead this team. Yeah. But am I ready to give him the keys to the franchise? No, I'm not. And I'm sorry. I'm just not there with him yet. No. But I do think that this was a good rebound season for him. And for the Dolphins... There's a lot of questions you're going to be working on in the offseason. Uh-huh. A lot that maybe caught some people by surprise, but not me necessarily. But I really want to hold off on that for next segment. Mm-hmm. But for them, it was a good way to close off the season yep. and kind of see where you're at. But for New England, this was a bad loss per se. But then again, they were really kind of playing with house money too. Yeah. Because Buffalo had the Jets. Yep. On paper, it should not have been as close as it was for the Bills. No. It was what it was because it's division, and that's one thing that we'll always stress on the show. It doesn't matter how bad your team is. If it's a division game, they get up for it. They will show up for it. Uh-huh. Very rarely do they not when it's division. Yep. So for this one, Miami got up for them, and this is something that New England did not exactly – I don't want to say they didn't give 100%, but I think that once the, they kind of knew that the game was out of reach, they kind of yeah. eased off the gas pedal. Yeah. Because they have more important things to focus on. Well, and, and there like, there was a couple instances in playoff scenarios where they could have ended up with the one, but once the Saturday games were over and done with, that was out of the question. Right. You know, they weren't going to get the one. So I think it just I just think it just became to a point where they looked up at the scoreboard, saw what Buffalo was doing, saw what they were doing, like, all right, we know where we're going to end up. Exactly. So that being said, they let the foot off the gas. Because why risk injury? or not being available for the wild card game if you're playing you know for a position in the playoffs that you know you're not going to get right so is once again bill belichick playing chess while everybody else is playing checkers yeah it is what it is the patriots have a date with the bills saturday night so we'll kind of have to wait to see how that plays out that's yeah. probably going to be the best game of the season or the weekend i'll, Pro- I'll, I'll say that right now probably it's definitely going to bring a lot of attention to the screen and to the fans, and you're going to have a lot of TV talk and social yeah. media. So you know what? You can't go yeah. wrong from there. So that's why I said screen's going to be talking, fans going to be talking, a lot of people are going to be talking about that game, as they rightfully should. 
But let us talk about your leap, Pad. Yeah, so I chose the Pittsburgh Steelers to beat the Baltimore Ravens, uh, in which they did by the final score of 16-13 to 13 in overtime. Uh, ben Roethlisberger, 30-44 of 44 for 244 yards passing, one touchdown, one interception. Uh, and then Tyler Huntley, 16-31 of 31 for 141 yards passing, zero touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, Chase Claypool was the leading rusher for Pittsburgh because Najee Harris was injured for a portion of the game. Uh, three carries, 33 yards uh and then on the receiving side uh pat freemuth uh was your leading receiver six catches 53 yards no touchdowns see a couple things from this game that i took away Uh uh-huh one steelers looked old yeah they did not really have that kind of pep in the step so to speak yeah and this is division game obviously the ravens and steelers are very well known yeah rivalry yeah ben looked like he definitely was feeling like this is gonna be the last time Uh uh-huh but he did what he could, pulled off some magic here and there. T.J. Watt tied Michael Strahan's sack record. Almost had it, but then he didn't get the friendly home scoring. Yeah, definitely don't agree with that one. Yeah. I thought he, he definitely got that one, but they called it a forced fumble. So Yeah, because what is it, Pro Football Talk on Twitter today shared the video from Strahan when he broke mm-hmm. he broke the record, and it's a damn near identical play to what T.J. Watt had on Sunday. Yeah, so that's why we kind of say TJ was robbed from that one. But, you know, yeah. it's not bad being tied. No. Or in my opinion, he does have the record because I thought Brett Favre kind of, you know, yeah. did what he did. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. So that being said, this game was a lot on the line for Pittsburgh. Yeah. It was a gutty win. Both teams needed to win and then a shitload of help to get into the playoffs. Right. But. That's what the Steelers somehow find a way to do, and especially having that tie on the record book this week. Uh-huh, which that, screwed them out last year. Yeah, it definitely did. So having that here, it could have played a bigger factor. But the team definitely stepped up. But the another storyline that I really want to talk about is Tyler Huntley. Yeah, I mean, just how you know, to bounce off of that. Listen, Pittsburgh, your defense is all right. Your run defense is about as good as a wet paper bag. Exactly. Holy fuck. Latavius Murray, 16 carries, 150 yards, one touchdown. Tyler Huntley, 12 who was the freaking quarterback, folks. 12 carries, 72 yards. He averaged six yards a run. No touchdowns. What the fuck? Yeah. So it is really interesting to see how this kind of shapes up. That I think Huntley is going to be a well sought after player this offseason. He's a good feller. He's not the franchise guy. He's not a franchise guy, but he reminds me, though, of like a Matt Flynn type. Yeah. That he definitely stepped out into the shadow, stepped out from the shadows into the spotlight. Yeah. Definitely looked the role. And yeah, I think, he had some moments. And I think that if some team wanted to take a flyer on him to see, I think he has a lot more upside than Flynn did. And yeah. I think that this is somewhere that he could really excel if he's in the right system. Yeah. I don't know exactly what's going to play out moving forward with him, but I think that he definitely made his stock rise in the company, mm-hmm. even with a loss like this. The only thing I would say was a little negative, though, is when he was trying to press for the win. He was making a lot of bad passes, just really trying to force something to happen. Yeah. But then again, when you're in that kind of situation, it's a lot of pressure on your shoulders. Do I think it's anything detrimental? No. But, no. I, but I think for what Baltimore was trying to do, it was a tough game for them and the Steelers just really found some magic as they usually do. It's just some something about them that they yeah. find ways to pull them late in the season out. and it's one more ride for Ben. Right. 
And Ben definitely is going to have a little more on his plate this coming week. He's looking old. But he is definitely looking old, and I do not like their chances against Kansas City. No, no, no. I, I think that maybe if they're lucky, they can slow down that offensive juggernaut. But if, if that game was in Pittsburgh, they might have a shot just with the crowd keeping them in it, but yay. Yeah, I, I do not like how this game is going to shape up for him. I really don't. But this, you know, storybook ending has one more week to them. Yeah. And for Baltimore, you know what? I know they've been plagued by injuries a lot, and that's yeah. something that you really, you know, you don't want to say, well, it's all injuries. But with the Ravens, you kind of have to say yes. Yeah, I would say they didn't have Lamar for like a month. Right. And you take out that MVP caliber player yeah. from your lineup, that changes everything. Not saying Huntley didn't try doing everything he could. But Huntley's not Lamar. Exactly. He's not dynamic. He's not on shit. We don't know what he's going to do on every down. It's... He, it's Huntley. We know he's going to pass. You know, he'll run, and he ran very effectively, you know, but he's not going to do that every single game. Right. So this is a game that he will definitely bounce back from, or they will bounce back from, and they're going to be contenders next season. The Ravens are a well-run organization. They will make adjustments in the offseason. They will do what they need to do. Yeah. And to write them off, I mean, this was a bad season for them, per se, because 8-9 and nine is not usually Ravens football. Yeah. But it's definitely nothing to scoff at, considering everything that they went through this season. Yeah. And I think that's something that fans really need to take with them this offseason as well. So let's switch gears to my leap, which, mm-hmm. you know, when we talk about games of the week yeah. and moments you sit through and you really kind of go, what am I watching? Uh-huh. Can we describe this game any more as a moment that we will all never forget? Something about uh, the Raiders on primetime games that just, you know, unforgettable moments. Yeah, to say the least, because Sunday night, the NFL regular season wrapped up with one of the most intriguing, puzzling, Uh charismatic games you'll ever see. Yep. And the drama unfolding. Yep. Was truly something. Pad, let us break this game down. Yeah, so uh, this game got flexed into the Sunday night spot because I think whatever was there was, like, utterly meaningless. Mm -hmm. You know, so this game, you know, so this was, and it was coming into a scenario where, you know, this was a win and they get in scenario. So this, you know, it's the ultimate drama. It's the ultimate matchup that, like, fans like to see, you know. And then things went even further with the scenarios and just the way they played out where these two teams could have knelt the ball every down for the entire damn thing, tied the game at 0-0, and they both would have made the playoffs, which you got to admit, I wanted to see. I was intrigued by this matchup. I definitely was. And especially with Indianapolis taking the big loss to Jacksonville. They're 0-5, 0-6, 0-7, something like that. In their their last couple of years down in Jacksonville, it's just something about Jacksonville. They cannot win down there. It's a wild thing that happened. But once the Colts were taken out of the equation, it really came down to what is going to happen here. Win and get in is the biggest game you can do. I'll say for both teams, which team is going to show up? The ones that play well or the ones that play like shit? Yes. And then, boy, oh, boy, did we ever get some answers here. You got the stat line ready? Yeah, so the Raiders ended up winning by the final score of 35-32 to in overtime. Uh, Derek Carr, 20 of 36 for 186 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Justin Herbert, 34 of 64 for 600, or excuse me, for 600 yards passing. No, for uh, 383 yards passing, three touchdowns, one interception. Uh, Josh Jacobs, your leading rusher for the Raiders, uh, 26 carries, 132 yards, one touchdown. 
Brian Edwards, your leading receiver, four catches, 63 yards, no touchdowns. Hey, we also got a Marcus Mariota sighting, too. There is a lot to discuss about this game. Okay. So, first and foremost, I was watching this game with Rich from 3FN, who is a diehard Raiders fan. About as diehard as they come. Yeah, you don't get any more silver and black representing than Rich. And he was sitting there watching this game, and he was definitely entrenched with what was going on. Obviously, they're doing a nice tribute for John Madden, who had just passed away. Yep. The Raiders came out with so much energy going right down the field. And unfortunately, they couldn't punch it in for seven the first go-around. But they were making their presence felt. Mm-hmm. And they had that, to me, they had that whole team of destiny thing going. Sure. But the Chargers just were not going away quietly. Now, I was very happily surprised at this because I was figuring, well, this could be a blowout or we're going to have a real competition. But I think for the amount of hype that was going into Justin Herbert and Austin Eckler in this game yeah. was a little bit out of control, mm. in my opinion. Like, they did the whole video package, and everybody was really trying to sell about the Chargers and really almost writing off the Raiders. Uh-huh. And I thought this is kind of a little premature. Like, sure. You know, like, I understand that you really want to hype up L.A., because, you know, obviously L.A. is a big market. Yeah. You know, you can definitely, you know, are trying to build a really big fan base there. And I felt that the Raiders were getting overlooked in this game because they were hanging with them and they were slowing down Eckler. Uh-huh. I mean, for the big video package he got, he only got 64 yards. I mean, granted, he got a touchdown, but still, yeah. it wasn't like he got a huge 80-yard running touchdown. So it's not like he set a franchise record or anything. Right. The Raiders really did a good job about slowing him down, especially in that second half. And if you're not familiar with Max Crosby, because I was not as well adverse, because I don't really watch the Raiders as much. Yeah. That guy can ball. Yeah, I would say so. And he definitely was going crazy in that game, causing havoc in that backfield. He was really giving Herbert and company fits. Right. And I thought that for what we got here, the Raiders did played well. I don't think they played great. But Josh Jacobs put the game on his back. Uh-huh. He was doing everything he physically could. 132 yards and a touchdown is no nothing to sneeze about, especially when he was averaging five yards a carry. Yeah. So he literally was trying to do everything he could. And like you touched on Marcus Mariota, they were running wildcat with him. So that was the real kind of interesting play they were doing. Yeah. But this is something that they do. But I thought they tipped their hand a little bit. But once we got into that latter half of the game, the Raiders seemed like they were going to ice it. And I know when Herbert got the ball back, he drove him down the field. Yep. And I thought that the ball that they called before the eventual tying touchdown, mm-hmm. I thought it was still moving. And I thought yeah. the Raiders got screwed on that yeah, one. Yeah, it looked like it a bit to me. But this is what happens when the Raiders did not close out. And they had some opportunities, too. I mean, it was not to say that the Chargers weren't battling them. But this was just almost kind of looking too storybook for me. But it is what happens when you get you play it on the field. However, though, I think that there was a couple coaching decisions by Brandon Staley, the coach of the Chargers, that really played a factor in this one. Oh yeah. And I think the one, the fourth down that they decided to go for it. Yeah. You know, on their own nineteen. Yeah. Listen, high risk, high reward. But yeah, Bel- Belichick, I remember, did something similar when Peyton was still with Indy. In, in Indy. That it was one of those like it was it was almost the same side of the field I think even where it was just like 
there, you know, wrong side of the 50, you know, went for it and it ended up biting them in the ass. Yeah. And this is one of the situations that, especially with a young team, I don't necessarily know if I would have made that call. No. I mean, in a game with the stakes you got, you being trust this high, your, you got to trust your defense. Right. You got to, you have to trust them. And the Chargers defense was playing solid. It's not like this was a runaway game by no, any means. Because a divisional game, you're literally playing for your playoff lives. The players would have gone in there, fired up, and done everything they could. Exactly. And the Chargers were definitely coming back, especially being down uh, 13 at the one point. Yeah. Or 15, rather. I'm sorry, because they needed a two-point conversion, and then they needed yep. a regular touchdown. It was a wild scenario, obviously, to put it in overtime. And then when the Raiders got the ball back, that we, you know, they came down and they were trying to implement their will, it just wasn't working out. And just the back and forth was going on. But when the Raiders got the ball late in overtime... This is the play that everybody's talking about. Mm-hmm. Staley calls it uh, an egregious timeout. Yeah. Late. Yeah. That really set up the Raiders to ice that game. Yep. Because Josh Jacobs, like I said, put the game on his back. Went beast mode and Madden. Yeah, because when they had that final opportunity within the last three minutes of overtime, because they were going back and forth and nobody could punch it in, this is where he really stepped up and did their thing. Because, I mean, they kind of were having dual and field goals. And then all of a sudden, with about two minutes left in, yep. Staley calls a timeout to slow him down. And I'm sitting there going, like, what are you doing here? Uh-huh. So, I mean, Pat, you're kind of echoing that statement, too. Oh, yeah. No, I agree with you 100%. It just made no sense to me in the, in the moment. Yeah, because when you have that chance to really wear the clock out, you're really pushing the Raiders to make some moves. Uh-huh. Why are you kind of playing into that favor? And I guess the argument was, well, you didn't like how the defense was set up. In that kind of situation, you just gotta let it go. You gotta trust the players to make the adjustments in the moment. Exactly, and this is something that a, a young coach got exposed for. I mean, because we've seen, if you watch enough football, you've seen enough times where they get up to the line and you got linebackers sneaking up a bit, telling D linemen things, or having a motion a certain way, or they're looking back towards the secondary, telling them things that like. You got to trust the players to do that. Like, is it the perfect setup? No, but you got to have enough trust and faith in your guys and your captain on defense, you know, to to see that situation. And go, oh shit, we need to make a few changes here. Right, but especially with that late in overtime, thirty eight seconds left, uh-huh. to call that timeout. And if you're worried about your defense, you just got to let it go. Yeah, you really have to yeah. trust your squad. And it's not like they were playing bad. Like that's the thing that was blowing my mind about it. No, so it's like, why are you doing this? And this really set up the Raiders to punch it in because. Their kicker, Daniel Carlson, has a leg on him. Uh-huh. I think it gets kind of forgotten about with, obviously, how well other kickers do in the league. But that kid can go. And when he nailed that kick, like I said, Daniel Carlson hit the 47-yarder to ice the game with seconds left. So his longest in the game was uh, 52. Yeah. That completely ruined the chance of the Chargers and Raiders both getting to the playoffs. Because I know that's now the conspiracy theory is, were the Raiders going to really kick it or just take the tie? Yeah. I'm going to say this. They were going for the win the entire time. Yeah. The team's motto is just win, baby. Just win, baby, win. Exactly. There was no chance that they would help their rivals. No, there's no way. Get. That's like the Patriots helping the Bills get to the playoffs. Yeah, it's, like, it's like the Yankees deliberately throwing a game to help the Red Sox make it into the playoffs. Like, fuck no. Yeah, I mean, the rivalry is not as intense as Raiders-Chiefs. No. Or, you know, some of the other division games that you're no. going to see in the AFC. Like I said, but the Chargers really, I thought, dropped the ball there, especially when they had the storybook comeback to send it to overtime, and everybody's waiting to see the tie, except if you're a Pittsburgh fan. Yeah. 
So now the questions are going to be in the offseason for the Chargers. This is going to haunt them. Uh-huh. Is Now, here's the question I want to ask you, Pat. Yeah. I know we're not talking Super Bowl breakdown. Yeah. But is this, in your opinion, on the same level as Atlanta and New England? No. Okay. No, absolutely not. I, I don't. And I realize I'm saying that as a Patriots fan, but no, just the Patriots game was so far out of reach that I was mentally prepping myself for another decade of hearing about it. Mm-hmm. Like, even to this day, I don't hear about it as much, but I still, you know, for as bad as I heard about it from the two Giants losses, especially the first one, I was mentally prepping myself for a, especially since at the time, I was living in a, in a house with an Atlanta Falcons fan. Yeah. Now he would have been polite about it, but I still would have heard some shit. Oh you know, yeah. He he, he would have he you know him he would have ribbed me he would have ribbed me about it for a good while you know, but no this is nowhere near Patriots Falcons. I don't think it is either, but this is going to be something that is going to test a young coaching staff. Yeah. And I think that especially with such a young team on offense, how do they bounce back next year? Because the one thing that we've said about the Chargers the entire season is they are arguably the most inconsistent team in all of football. Oh, 110%. Yeah, you never know what team you're going to get when they show up. And this one, they understood the assignment. They understood win and get in. Yeah. But crucial coaching errors really cost them. I mean, you you literally hit the nail on They are so inconsistent because they finished in third place in the West with a record of 9-8. and eight. Here's just how inconsistent they are. Home record, 5-4. and four. Mm-hmm. Away record, four and four. Divisional, three and three. Conference, six and six. Yeah. Like, what? And if you, like I say, they're the team that they show up in the games they should win, they lose, and the ones they should lose, they win. It's just a wild scenario that they find ways to do this. And I wish I could understand this. I really do. Because on paper, they should be running away with games. They should. Oh, yeah. Like, nothing blowout legendary status, but, like, they're pretty decent on paper. Yeah. But yet, they get on the field, and then I don't know what happens. I don't know how you describe it. They just get in their own heads. It's got to be, because you sit there and you go, this team is way better. Way better. Oh, yeah. Than they should be. Oh, yeah. But yet, here we are. And it's like, how are we pulling this off week in and week out? So now the question is going to haunt them about this game. Yep. And like I say, how Brandon Staley bounces back from this is going to be truly telling about the state of this franchise. Would not surprise me if he's on a very, very, very short leash next year. Well, you have to think that with the talent they have, it's a win now. Uh Uh-huh. This is not a rebuilding team. You had the chance to ice your rivals. Uh Uh-huh. You didn't. Uh Uh-huh. And it ultimately came down on your coaching. And you could say what you want. Like, the, take the last-minute timeout out of the equation. Sure. You made some questionable calls in the in the, in the or the regular time of the game. Yep. That is the more important one. I mean, you could say what you want, and I do think that it did play a factor in the overtime. Yeah. But then again, why did you get to overtime in the first place? Yeah. If you're the better team, you should have won. But you weren't. Yeah, I would say they they finished just a couple wins better than the Denver Broncos, who finished in fourth place. And the Denver Broncos are a lot worse than the Chargers. Oh, facts. The fact that you finished that like win percentage five twenty nine to four twelve, but still the fact that you're nine and eight and the Broncos finished seven and ten, you are yeah, that's bad. Yeah, so the Chargers are definitely going to have a lot to do in the off season, but for the Raiders, gutty win, uh huh, gritty testament to that team. For all the adversity they have gone through this season. Yeah. And I think that they are going to be 
one of the scariest teams to face in that first round. Mm-hmm. Because now they've won five in a row, I believe. Uh, let's see, looking at it. Uh, four in a row. Four in a row. Four in a row. When you come in hot to the playoffs, and I'm not saying they can make a magical run to the Super Bowl, but I will say this. They are in the driver's seat of what they can do. Well, they are, but we'll get to this next segment. They've got a hell of a test. They definitely do. But we'll get to that next segment. We definitely are going to talk about that next segment. But let us close this segment out, though, with a quick lap around the league. So let us start talking about Kansas City defeated Denver 28-24. to Nothing really to write home about. No. I mean, Kansas City already knew they were locked up for number two, so they yep. didn't really have too much to play for. Denver, it's an interesting offseason already with them, so we'll yeah. have to wait to see how that plays out. Dallas defeated Philadelphia 51-26. to They spanked the shit out of them. Holy fuck. Well, I think that Dallas wants to send that message, especially with yeah. Philly being in the playoffs, and you yeah. never know when they could bump into each other if they do, Yeah, that they're the kings of the East. And rightfully so. I mean, when this offense is clicking, they're scary. Uh-huh. When that defense shows up, they're scarier. Could they make a run in the playoffs? Absolutely. Oh, 100%. Dallas could make a run. Will they? Jury is still out. Yeah. But, you know, they got a very tough test that first round, too. So who knows what you're going to get. Cleveland defeated Cincinnati 21-16. to But then again, the Bengals didn't really have anything to play for. Yep. Cleveland, we're going to see what happens in this offseason. Detroit defeated Green Bay, or should I say the backups of Green Bay, Yeah, 37-30. to Nothing really to write home about here except Detroit. Boy, you talk about a team that could be a sleeper next year. Yeah, maybe. If they play their cards right yeah, in the draft. If they, if, they dra- if they draft a few good guys and they get some decent free agents, maybe. Yeah, they could. I'm not now granted, I'm going to call that shot now. No, but on paper they have at least a potential to be a vastly improved team next year. Sure. Will they be that team? I don't know. And for Jordan Love, I mean, this is not a bad audition, so to speak, to kind of see the temp in the room, because obviously when you deal with the legacy that is Aaron Rodgers, if you're going to really get the keys turned over to you, you know, we got to see what we get out of you. I mean, the stat line, 10 for 17, 134 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. Not the greatest, but then again, not the worst. No. But then again, like I say, how much of your team was invested in this because they know they're the number one seed in the NFC. Uh-huh. So you kind of have to really factor that into play. Tennessee locked up the AFC number one seed with a with a gutty win over Houston. Good Lord. But then again, we talk about rivalries, and we talk about division rivalries. This is a prime example because why this game was that close is beyond me. Yeah. If I'm a Tennessee Titans fan, I, are you a little worried? Because I am. Yeah, a little bit. You know, not, nothing super crazy like hit the panic button. But if Derrick Henry is not back 100%, uh, Houston's, been, Houston's been showing some flashes of, like, they don't suck the last couple of weeks, though. Right. Which, I mean, it's tough to say about if this franchise can get back on the right track. I don't know. I mean, I think they're still going to be a season away. Yeah. They got to do a lot of work, and Deshaun Watson could be an interesting factor in that. So he ain't coming through those doors anytime soon. No, so it depends on what they want to do with him in this offseason because they're going to have time. Oh, yeah. And that's going to be the one thing that they will have to work with. Jacksonville decides to end the most boring team in football season, defeating the Indianapolis Colts 26 to 11. 
Uh, yeah, and shout out to the Colts. They're going to miss the playoffs. They don't have a first-round draft pick coming this year because they gave it away to the Eagles on the condition where the pick ended up depended on how many snaps uh, Carson Wentz took this season. And, well, he met the requisite 75% of the snaps. So it is a first-round draft pick. Jeez. So they don't have a first-round draft pick. And, honestly, if I'm Indianapolis, I cannot trust Carson Wentz to throw an apple, let alone a football. Yeah, I mean, it was a very questionable move to take him as the quarterback. Yeah. Did it pan out? No, but... he I mean, he had moments, you know. Yeah. Were it not for him fracturing both of his ankles on a singular play, uh, Indianapolis might not have figured out how good their running game is. Yeah, so you I know, mean... So he had his moments, but overall, he ain't it. Definitely is not it. Minnesota defeated those Chicago Bears 31-17. to they're going to have a very interesting offseason, both teams, actually. Uh-huh. Uh, we got to talk about this. I know your coach, my coach, the coach, Coach Duffy, is crying somewhere. Because well, he's partially cheering today, but, we'll, again, we'll get to that next segment. Yes. Washington, the soon-to-be-renamed football team. Admirals, it's already leaked. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, no. Uh, the Washington Admirals website got leaked uh, last week, and there was a time where you would go to Washington. You can't do it now, but there was a time where you could enter WashingtonAdmirals.com, and it would link, look much like if you do com. it'll link to our ODPH podcast. Oh, okay. They had it set up so that WashingtonAdmirals.com linked to the Washington football team site. Interesting. It doesn't do that now. It now links to like some food bank in the Maryland, Virginia area. Area. Uh, but no, yeah, there was a good few hours last week where it linked to the Washington football team site. So they're going to be the Admirals. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, eh, it's not the best they could have gone with, but eh, it's a name. Uh, I was expecting it to be the Washington Snyders. Oh, God. I don't have any rooting interest in the team. so I don't either. I they mean, can name themselves whatever they want. I, I just was guessing that that might be the team name. Let's talk about this real uh, point of the game, though. QB sneak on third and nine from like your 14. What the fuck was that? Yeah. I'm sorry, Joe Judge, as much as he's a former New England guy, that's shit, he's got to go. Yeah. What the fuck are you doing? You can't even argue, we're just just trying to get a few more yards out so we're not giving shit punt position, you know, field position after we punt. Like, I'm sorry, you're that deep in your own end, your position's going to be shit no matter where you punt it. Yeah, there is no excuse for that. None. Also, also, shout out to the fan who is suing the Jets and the Giants for $6 billion. There's a Yahoo breakdown of like what what the lawsuit means. It's the funniest shit you'll read all day, guaranteed. Giants fans will need a good laugh because this has been an abysmal season. That that article from Yahoo Sports will give you a laugh. Oh, they, They're going to have to do a lot of things. I mean, both teams, really. I mean, obviously, renaming the football team is going to be a big move, and then uh-huh. we'll have to see what they do moving forward. And for the Giants, well... Where do you begin? Firing the head coach. I mean, that'd be the logical move, but they've already said they're committing. But who knows? I mean, that's the one thing you don't really know. I mean, they're supposed to allegedly have a meeting today, so that could that could lead to something. Who knows? Yeah. New Orleans, though, they're kind of in a rebuilding year in their own right. So, but they decided to close out the year defeating those Atlanta Falcons because who is Atlanta? What is Atlanta? Atlanta took the big L because they lost thirty to twenty. Yep. Buffalo did what Buffalo should do against. Zach Wilson and the New York Jets. Uh, Listen, I'm going to try saying this without being as favoritism as possible. The Jets will not win anything with Zach Wilson as their quarterback. Uh Uh-huh. He'll keep them close, but won't win anything. He'll keep them close in that first quarter. I'm sorry. I've, I've seen enough to make my judgment on this kid. They have nothing around him 
to help him. I mean, the five interceptions he had against New England weren't clue enough. No, but the nine sacks he took by the Bills in this game kind of said it all. Yeah, this game should have been more of a blowout than it actually was. Yeah, the fact... I'm, I'm sorry, the fact that it was 13-10 to 10 after the third quarter. Little cause for concern. Obviously, in the end, it didn't really matter because Buffalo put up 14 unanswered in the fourth quarter. You know, but still, I'm, I'm sitting there because... You know, I, I, for those who don't know, we got a little bit of an ice storm up in our portion of the uh, mm-hmm. country on Sunday. So I was iced into my house, couldn't go nowhere. Uh, I saw an SUV do a 180 in the parking lot of my apartment, and I went, yep, I'm not going nowhere. So I watched a good portion of this game while I was taking down the uh, my Christmas tree. I'm sitting there after the third quarter going, this game shouldn't be this close. But that eh, didn't matter. Well, the one thing that the Bills offense did, and I hope they got this out of their system because now there's going to be no excuse. Sure. Because they decided to fall back into their old routine of we're down around the 20, we're going to just pass it, pass it, pass it. Throw it to Dawson Knox. Yes. And instead of doing what they've been doing the past couple weeks and just let the play be the play, they were trying to force too much. And I understand it's the Jets and the Jets are the Jets and they're not going to be good for a very, very long time unless somebody does a massive overhaul on that team. Even though their defense, I will say this is not as bad as their offense. Okay. Their defense did show some potential down the road. Like, I know they have a lot of young players there. Oh, yeah. I think that this season will be a great learning experience for them, but that offense isn't going to do anything. They're not doing any favors. When you're on the field most of the game, you're going to get tired, and that's why the Bills took advantage of it. I've seen college offenses more uh, more, uh, successful than that Jets offense. Yeah, and like I said, Wilson is not the guy. I'm, I'm sorry, like... I've watched him play. I watch his demeanor. I'm just not sold on him being the guy. And it's it's a shame, but they have nothing around him to really keep him balanced and really develop around him. I mean, looking at the weapons he has on offense, if you can call him that, there's nobody that's no. that's even noteworthy to really say, oh, this team is really going to do some damage you know, no. in the future. No, I mean, their leading rusher was the quarterback himself, Zach Wilson, two carries, 24 yards. The leading receiver was Keelan Cole, three catches, fifty-four yards. Jamison Crowder, one catch, sixteen yards. He's a name, and I, he's the name I recognize. But he ain't gonna give you shit, you know. And then their other leading receivers uh, were Tariq Black, Tyler Croft, Jeff Smith, Tevin Coleman, Ty Johnson, Denzel Mims, Michael Carter, and then your other two, your other uh, running backs you had were Michael Carter, Tevin Coleman, and Ty Johnson. Like. None of those names are like, oh, you know what? I got to get that guy for fantasy. Or, you know what? I need a backup for week nine, week 10 when my starter, you know, Derek Henry, Alvin Kamara is out. I'm going to pick up Ty Johnson. Oh, shit. He only got me one carrier for negative one yard. Yeah, he did nothing to really scare about. And that's the thing. If you have a young quarterback, you got to get something around him. Yeah. They had nothing. Absolutely nothing. And the kid now has to go in that offseason taking nine sacks. By the Bills. I'll well, say, you you listening to this podcast, look around unless you're driving. Don't look around. But if you're sitting at your desk or you're working out or you're at your home, look around you. You have more around you than Zach Wilson has in playing with the Jets. Yes. So unless they find some way to build something around this kid, I'm sorry. He's he's going to be out of the league sooner than later. I'm sorry. I'm or, or, or it'll just be another Sam Darnold and he'll end up someplace else and look halfway decent. Yeah, I mean, that's the only thing you can do with him because... He has nothing around him. He's in around the only thing he has around him is the New York media, which is going to eat him alive. Yeah, that, unfortunately, I, I listen to the Michael K show. They are quite ruthless. Yeah, so that's the one problem when you're in that when you are in the pressure cooker. 
known as New York. Uh-huh. And it is a pressure cooker. If you're not familiar with that term, it is constant media around you 24-7 to the point it's excruciating. 24-7 talk radio. Like, it don't stop. It sometimes reruns overnight, but, like, it is 24-7 talk radio. You got the newspapers. You got the local television. You got the fans. At the, and now you got social media. You know, and area-specific trends, you know, it's, you, you just can't escape it. No, you can't. So how this kid's going to balance out with nothing around him to really kind of justify, like, hey, I'm really going to turn this thing around. <sighs> like I say, I just I fear that it's going to be a one-and-done for him. Like, he might get another season out of this, and then it's over. And then he's going to be taking snaps somewhere else, a la Sam Darnold. Maybe. And then <laughs> I don't know who you get in there to fix that ship. I really don't. But nevertheless... Tampa Bay, speaking of a change of pace in quarterbacks, uh, 41-17 to 17 over Carolina. Good Lord. I mean, like, what can you say? Sam Darnold and company down there, ah, just not getting the job done. Nope. Tampa Bay looked like they were in postseason form, so it's very scary for anybody facing them, which I believe is Philadelphia first round. So I think so, yeah. That could be a long day for Jalen Hurts and company. Seattle closed out the season with a win over Arizona, 38-30. to 30. Once again, we talk about division rivalry games. Yep. This is one of them. Yep. And then I will say this to close out. The scariest team that I would be fearing if I was in the NFC right now, the San Francisco 49ers. Jimmy G time, baby. Listen, the one thing that we have said on this podcast is San Francisco is deceptively good. Uh huh. And their defense is not exactly filled with household names. No. But they're nasty, they hit hard, and they're very, very good. The offense, though... When it clicks, it's very, very good. 316 yards from old Jimmy G. Elijah Mitchell, leading uh, rusher with 85 yards. Brandon uh, Aruk, uh, 107 yards receiving. Goddamn. Yeah, Debo Samuel, 95. George, when, Even when George Kittle is shut down, yeah. they're still putting up yards. I'll say 10 yards from George Kittle, but then Debo Samuel, 95 yards. Uh, Juwan Jennings, 94 yards. Goddamn. Picked yeah. up the slack in spades. Exactly, and that's the thing that this team, when they get clicking, is going to be a problem. For Dallas first round, this is a problem. This is a team I would not want to be facing because now you have the question of the immovable force and the irresistible object. Mm-hmm. You now have that because you have the high-powered offense of Dallas facing that nasty San Francisco defense. How is it going to shape up? I don't know, to be honest with you. I really don't. But for the 49ers to take one away from the Los Angeles Rams. Right. And this was a highly competitive game. Like, do not get it twisted about, you know, playoffs and such. Right. Everybody was going at this one like a like the rivalry meant something. And as it should, because this is something that these teams are going to be franchise teams moving forward, facing each other year in and year out. For a good couple of years. Yeah, for the top of that division, in my opinion. Yeah. Take nothing away from Arizona, because they'll still be there, too. Obviously, without DeAndre Hopkins, it's a different team. Oh, 100%. It's a day and night difference. So that's why I say you can't really put a lot on them. And then Seattle, they got a lot that they need to work out. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. But I think that these two teams are going to be the cornerstones of that NFC West moving forward. So get ready for these battles for the next few seasons because they're going to be something special. And the 49ers now in the playoffs, it's a scary scenario for anybody facing them. And Dallas, you got a lot to answer first round. Yes, they do. Whew. What a week it was for Week 18 to close out on the regular season, huh, Pat? Oh, crazy. So we have given you our recap of that. We're still going to talk some more football next segment, but hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHPod. 
What is your takeaway from week 18 of the NFL? How did your team end up? Are you in good shape going to the playoffs? Are you rebuilding in the offseason? Hit us up. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, guys. My name is JT. What's up, everyone? I'm Darren. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm Josh. Hey, guys. I'm Christian. Hey, what's up, y'all? This is Dominic, and we're the East Coast Avengers. We're a group of five friends who get together weekly and talk about everything that's going on in the nerd universe. Whether you're a fan of Marvel, DC, Star Wars, video games, comics, or anything else nerdy that you can think of, we're the podcast for you. You can find us on Anchor, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or whatever streaming platform you use to listen to your favorite podcasts on. You can also catch us on our YouTube channel where we release tons of content such as vlogs, unboxings, TV and movie recaps, and trailer reactions. So if those things sound good to you, then check out the East Coast Avengers podcast. We hope you enjoy. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and we are still talking some football. Yeah. So, unfortunately, though, once the season is wrapped up, you do hear about the coaching carousel. Yeah, because there is no Monday Night Football game uh, in the final week of the season, so it is known as, in the NFL world, Black Monday. Yes. So, unfortunately, there is going to be some coaching changes going on with some teams. Yep. We got the breakdown of it, so as we are recording, this is the latest list. Pad, what you got? Yeah, so the first one that obviously got fired on Sunday uh, was Vic Fangio, the Denver uh, Broncos head coach. Surprising absolutely no one. Yeah, no, this one was not a major shock at all. The team has not been really uh, relevant in a while. I know they're going through co- yeah. you know, quarterback carousels. Yeah. And usually when that's happening, it's not a good sign. Uh-huh. So obviously there has to be some change at the regime. I know obviously moving Von Miller was a big move this year. Yeah. So for Denver, it's going to be a question of who can you get in there to really calm the waters. Sure. And that's the question. I don't have an answer for right now. Sure. I really don't. I think that Denver has got a lot of issues suddenly yep. on both sides of the ball Yeah, that they're going to need to address. And obviously, look at, looking at their quarterback situation, that is the one they're going to have to really do. But I don't know if there's anybody in the draft that is screaming at me as we're recording. No. Like, this is the guy they need to go get. No, I. there's really nobody jumping out to me like, oh, you got to go get this guy. So it might just be another year of a, a quarterback carousel. Yeah, which is unfortunate, but this is what teams do. But the one great thing about the NFL, I will say this. The salary cap is the toughest one in all of sports. Uh Uh-huh. There is legitimately a fair chance for everybody with the cap to be relevant. We'll say this ain't like the NBA where there's the luxury tax and then you got to pay extra and this and that. Like, no, it is a hard, like, this is the limit. You ain't going over it. Exactly. And that's one thing that I will say the NFL does right because every season – there is a chance. Yeah. We say there's a chance. There's a chance. A team can rebound. And they can come out of nowhere and really catch fire. Right. Denver could. They could. But you need to work some magic, and you need to really address some offensive needs that, quite frankly, are glaring holes in your offense. They got or a, in your team, rather. They got a lot of glaring issues. Yeah, so how they move this offseason will be interesting. Like I said, there's not a head coach that is screaming at me like this is the guy they need to go get. Right. So we'll kind of have to wait to see how they pan out. Uh, Next up was uh, you had a head coaching and a general manager fired uh, with the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings in Mike Zimmer uh, and then the general manager in Rick Spielman both let go. 
Wasn't surprised about Zimmer. Was no. was surprised about Spielman though. I was surprised by Spielman. Was not surprised by Zimmer. Zimmer had been the head coach there since 2014. So, bit of a rough shake this year with everything going on, and you know, with all that. But like, it's not a case of like he'd only been there two, three years, and he hadn't gotten his share shake yet. But like, no, nah, dude, you've been there since 2014. You really haven't done. You got a two and three record in the postseason. Like, you are what you are, and you're not great. No, they're not great, and I think that they've had their own issues, too, with signing Kirk Cousins to that crazy yeah, deal, yeah, which did not work out in their favor. Uh, in hindsight, Minnesota does not like that. No, does not like that at all. And I think, unfortunately, when you go all in with a move like that, it's ultimately going to come down on the head coach. Yeah. And then, plus, they did move Stefan Diggs yep. to Buffalo. Yep. Which, I mean, I, technically, though, that worked out for both teams. Yeah. Because who did the Vikings draft? Justin and Jefferson. Justin Jefferson. Yeah, who is a Stephon Diggs prototype, and he's a star in the making. So it worked out for both, but at the same time, you're asking a lot from Kirk Cousins to really make something happen up there, especially with the pressure of the money he signed for. Yeah. Which, listen, he signed for it, he knew what he was getting into. Uh-huh. I don't have any sympathy for him. Nope. But when you're the head coach and you're going in with a win-now mentality, especially in a division that has been run by Aaron Rodgers for years now, uh-huh. you got to start making some headway there. They didn't. That defense had no. been solid. They'd gotten a couple wins here and there. but In all honesty, the defense, I feel like, over the years has taken a few steps back. They have because, unfortunately, they've been hit with the injury bug and free agency. I mean, yeah. it's, But this is something that you're given such a limited window of time in the NFL to be a consistent contender. Yeah. Certain teams can do it well. Patriots, yeah. Steelers. Yeah. This is an area that the Vikings have been hit and miss for so long that just when you think they're about ready to take that leap forward, they take two steps back. Zimmer was supposed to be the guy to get him over the hump. Mm-hmm. Definitely didn't do it. Yeah. So now the question is, what do you do in this offseason? I will tell you who they should go get. Okay. Brian Flores. Okay. Because, obviously, he's released from Miami. We'll get to that in a minute. We'll get to that in a minute. But I'm going to say this. If you still have Cousins as your quarterback, you at least have a stable quarterback leading your team. Sure. He's not the greatest. We we can say that without question. Yeah. But where Flores, in my opinion, struggled in Miami, he would not have that struggle in Minnesota. I think the other name we can't rule out because the only team I've heard him ruled out for is Miami, uh, Harbaugh. From Michigan. Harbaugh would be a great addition, too. The only name I've heard thus far, and obviously between our recording and you listening, he might rule it out, but the only name or the only team I've heard him say he's not lined up for is the Miami job. And you know what? I can't blame him on that. And not I, saying... And I've heard some reports that, you know, I've read some reports that he has told, you know, some students and potential prospects, I guess you could say, that he might end up going to the NFL. Well, I think Harbaugh would be an interesting choice. I mean, obviously, his pedigree speaks for itself. Yeah. He has won at the NFL level. Yep. Obviously, taking the 49ers to the the Super Super Bowl. Bowl. Yeah. So he knows what he's doing, and he would probably be arguably the hottest name in the coaching free agency ranks. Yeah. However, though, in Minnesota, would he want to go there? Uh, I think it depends on what he wants and does he like the situation. I don't think he's going to end up 
in Jacksonville because I don't think he wants to st- stick around for a rebuild and, and putting another team back together. I think he would like to come into a team where they're essentially already there. They just might need to plug and place a few pieces, and, and there are a couple, maybe one or two pieces away from really making a run, and he could just kind of go in there and institute his own offense and go. I don't think he wants to spend four or five years. All right, we got to replace you know the defensive line. Now we got to re- replace the offensive line now we got to fix the receiving like i don't think he wants that long drawn out process i don't think he wants that drawn out process either but he's got to be really picky where he goes because i think now is there a team that is missing a coach that you could plug and play and they'd be instant contenders i mean i'm sure there is yeah but looking at what we're working with right now minnesota could be that job could be i mean you you got a pretty decent receiving core with Justin Jefferson. And Thielen. And Thielen. You got a great running back uh, core with Dalvin Cook. Yeah. You know, Cousins is there. Cousins is serviceable, but you can always sign a guy or draft for a guy. This is true. I mean, the possibilities are kind of endless with this for him, that he can really pick and play where he wants to go. And I think that he'll be very smart about it, too. I don't think you're going to see him make a decision right away. No. Unless he's he, unless he's completely sold on a job that like, is yeah, his dream job. Yeah, unless there's something that knocks him off his socks. Yeah, that's going to be something that we're going to have to wait and see. But I do like if Flores went to Minnesota, though. Okay. Because, like I say, their defense, he could tighten that up very quickly. Yeah. Because he is a defense-based guy. Yeah, uh-huh. So if he can do that, and obviously you know you're dealing with Aaron Rodgers, allegedly, for another year or so. Supposedly. That's the, the only real threat you have to win is, like, you have to beat Green Bay if you go to Minnesota. Oh, you have to. So if you're not willing to go that route and focus on your defense and let the offense somehow, some way, get points and just really, like I say, you need to build a Baltimore-esque defense mm-hmm. to compete in that team. And that's uh-huh. why I said I think Flores could do that. I really think he could. But we'll have to wait and see, though. Yeah. Next up on the list, uh, though. Ne- next up was Matt Nagy, the uh, head coach of the Bears, uh, was fired. And then also Ryan Pace, the general manager of the Bears, was let go. Nothing shocking here. Absolutely not. Fans had only been calling it for like a month and a half. Well, the problem is when he came in, he was supposed to retool that offense. Didn't. didn't It didn't work. And obviously they've had their chance being a strong defensive team. Because like we touched upon, to be in the NFC North, you're, you're matched up against Green Bay. Love it or hate it, that's that's the benchmark. Did they contend? Yes. Yeah. But every year after his first year, they struggled, in my opinion. That defense could not keep up. And then the changes on offense, where you literally had a coaching carousel or quarterback carousel, yeah, did not help anybody. No. And Justin Fields, like I fear the Tua syndrome is going to happen again. Yeah. I really do. I, I'm not wishing that on anybody. No. But this is the problem you walk into. People joke about, you know, the coaching, or not the coaching, the quarterback carousel that was with Cleveland for a long time. Mm-hmm. Chicago ain't far behind them. No. You know, Cleveland's got a lot. There's that jersey that's in, like, a, a window front somewhere in Cleveland of, like, all the the quarterbacks they've had since, like, 2000 or whatever it is. And it's, like, 17, 18 names long. You can Google the damn thing. It's absurd the amount of quarterbacks they've had over the years chicago ain't far behind them no chicago is not and you ain't gonna go back as far as you know 2000s start with rex grossman and go from there hey not wrong pad definitely not wrong about that but with chicago there's so much rebuilding to do harbaugh would do wonders there yeah but would he be patient enough to 
to sit there. No. That's the that's the question because you're going to have to retool that offense so quickly. No, you're going to have to retool everything. Yeah, I mean, it's it's nothing he could not do. No, he could do it, just does he? I, I don't know. I mean, if anybody could do it, it would be him, but I don't know if that's the spot he wants to land on. Sure. I really don't. Because, like I say, you need to have somebody that is, one, an offensive mind that can really go in there and really settle on a quarterback. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, Nagy, I mean, if you're looking at it, Nagy did struggle. Sure. So can somebody come in there like an Eric Bettemy, who I've been saying should be a head coach a long time, yeah. can't say offensive coordinator? I think he should. I mean, that would be a spot I could see him land in. But it also depends on what you want to, you know, can you really turn that defense around? Is that what you want to do? Yeah. Chicago, I mean, that's the first priority, but I don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, and then next up, obviously, we mentioned it, Brian Flores, the uh, head coach of the Miami Dolphins, was let go. Okay. Now, Pat, I'm going to ask you very honestly, were you super shocked by this? Yes. Uh, and I th- and I think they made the wrong decision in firing who they did. Uh, you had uh, Brian Flores, who led Miami to, you know, two back-to-back winning records. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I'm trying to, I'm looking at, you know, trying to find uh, the last time they made the playoffs, you know, but I, I think they made the wrong decision with this one just because was it a great team? No, they went on a run. Yes. And, and yes, it was against cupcakes, but still they did win. they did win some games, but you, you fire the head coach who got you back to back winning seasons for the first time. And I don't know how long mm-hmm. I think this was the wrong call. I agree with you that I think it was the wrong call, but sitting back and looking at it, I understand what they did. And I think it ultimately boils down to their expectation level was completely not met. Sure. That, in my opinion, they've had a love affair for getting Deshaun Watson out of Houston. Sure. They're not sold on Tua, and they want to go in a completely different direction. That I think for what Flores was doing, I think he's a very good coach. And that's why I say I think where he really got exposed was the offense. Sure. And I think that that really was the death knell to the coaching situation in Miami for him. I think that when you see relief quarterbacks come in, that's not a good sign. Aesthetically is just saying to me that there is an issue. Sure. So that take that into consideration. Then again, they have also not had a stellar offensive weapons around him the entire time for Tua. Yeah. So you have to play that into factor. And then you look at the schedule they won, and I know everybody's saying, well, they just won nine in a row or whatever the case is. Look who they fought and played. That's the biggest telling sign. Mm-hmm. You could not, according to the records, you struggled against the playoff teams except Baltimore. Yep. So moving forward, as you as an organization, do you have faith in that coaching staff if you are struggling against those playoff teams? That's what they ultimately made their decision on, in my opinion. Do I agree with it? No, I think that Flores should have had another year. And then you make that call. Sure. But I think after what he did with this team, he's arguably the biggest name in the free agent market. Oh, you would have to figure. And I think that, like I said, he should go to Minnesota because – if all you need to do is focus on a defense and you can get a real strong offensive mind as your OC, sure, you could do wonders with that team. And I'll even say that right now. They could be instant playoff contenders immediately. Sure. But the question is, 
Are you willing to, you know, go up there, rebuild, and obviously you got to go against Green Bay? That is something that is intimidating for some people. I think Flores would would relish it because he yeah. jumped right to Miami. Well, let's face it, you got to face the Bills yeah. and the Patriots, yeah, and that's no easy task. And he contended. I I really do, and I spent the last couple minutes digging up a couple things. I really think they fired the wrong guy. I think they should have fired Chris Greer, the general manager. Oh, I agree with that. Just, just because I'm looking at Chris Greer. Uh, he was an intern with New England in the 1994 season, and he was the Patriots regional scout from 1995 to 1999. He was the Miami Dolphins area scout from 2000 to 2002, the national scout slash assistant director of college scouting from 2003 to 2007. He was the director of college scouting from 2007 to 2015, and he's been the general manager since 2016. Okay. So the since his time, you know, the, the now five years, he's been general manager. They've only made the playoffs one time. That was in 2016, uh, you know, the 2016, seven, uh, 2016 season, excuse me, where they played the Pittsburgh Steelers and they got blown the fuck out 30 to 12. Yeah. You know, and then since he's been a head coach, they've gone through, you know, two coaches. You know, they had... Eddie, since he's been GM, you're saying. Since, yeah, since he's been GM. Adam Gase, who, you know, <laughs> he, he was head coach from 2016 to 2018. They fired him with the one playoff berth. And then Brian Flores, who was, as we've just mentioned, fired twice. So, with that said, this gentleman, you know, has been, you know... In the NFL since, you know, for a couple, you know, three decades now, four decades, whatever the hell it is, you know, he's been with the Dolphins since 2000. You know, a bulk of it as a scout and a smaller portion of it as the general manager. Name me one good player. I'm not going to say great player. Name me one good player Miami has drafted that has panned out for them during his tenure with that team. Jury's still out on Waddle. Yeah. Jury's still out on Tua. Uh, Xavier Howard. Yeah, I mean, he's he's all right. I mean, his career stats, uh, he's got 238 tackles, two sacks, four forced fumbles, three fumble recoveries, 26 interceptions, two defensive touchdowns, 70 pass deflections. He's all right, but it's not like, holy shit, this guy's going to be a monster in free agency. Well, I know that he's one name that they've been definitely talking about moving. And with yeah. Xavier Howard, that's the guy that I would say was probably their biggest draft pick. Yeah. But then again, like you touched upon, everybody is still waiting to see. Yeah. They So we can't sit here and name a good play. And I'm sure somebody at home is screaming a name. So hashtag ODPH, you know, pod if, if you think of one. You know, but we can't sit here as two fans of AFC East teams, so we watch them play mm-hmm. four times a year. You know, we can't think of one good player since 2000 that they've they've drafted with him in the organization. And then you just look at what the hell they've done since he's general manager. I think they fired the wrong guy. Flores led you to back-to-back winning seasons, which is something the Dolphins fans have been, I, Christ, my cousin's one of them. They've been wanting a winning team. And I've been telling my cousin... For the last 10 years, you need consistency because with a constant carousel at head coaching, you are not going to get any consistency and you're not going to get any sort of settlement down or foundation, I should say, down for a winning record. Because, okay, their first head coach was George Wilson. He coached from 1966 to 69. You had the legendary Don Shula, who coached from 1970 to 1995. Then you had Jimmy Johnson, was 1996 to 1999. After Jimmy Johnson left, you had, and count on your your hands, folks, Dave Wanstead, Jim Bates, Nick Saban, 
Cam Cameron, the GOAT, Tony Sperano, Todd Bowles, Joe Philbin, Dan Campbell, Adam Gase, and Brian Flores. You've had 10 gentlemen, you know, step in there and, and head coach that team. You know, Wanstead was for four years. Bates was an interim because they fired Wanstead. Saban was for one year. Cam Cameron was for one year. Tony Sperano was probably your longest tenure. He was 2008 to 2011. Mm-hmm. You know, Bowles was only for a year. Philbin was for three years. Dan Campbell, Campbell was only for a year. Adam Gase was for two years. And Brian Flores was for four. You cannot build a winning team if you're ro- rotating coaches that much. Oh, I agree with you. And as somebody that does not like Miami, that's music to my ears. Because I am not a Miami fan. But I agree with you. And that's why I say, like, you look at the coaching carousel that they've had. They don't build consistency to win down there. The culture is not set for anybody to really develop into a dynasty there. I'm sorry. You want to take it as it is? This is my comments. This is my opinion. They need some kind of stability in that front office. But as we've seen over the past years with Flores... They have not trusted him enough with that team. Because why is the Deshaun Watson shadow looming overhead of them? And was for a good majority of this season as well, too, as last. They had no faith in Tua. They took him and then immediately were trying to go, okay, what do we do now? How they managed him was egregious. And that's why I say, like, I'm glad that the kid is finally getting some confidence built back in. But he needs to go somewhere where it makes sense. Yeah. And for Flores, that's why I say I'm glad that he is going to get a chance to go somewhere else because he definitely deserves another head coaching job. Yeah. Minnesota would make a ton of sense to me. But if he wants to go somewhere else, listen, he he can definitely turn something around if you give him time to work with and let him build that defense. Yeah. That is what he needs to focus on. Get somebody else that can balance out that offense, and you got a surefire contender under your hands. But Miami... I they're I guarantee you the reason they moved him is they're sold on somebody else. It could be. You know, it ain't Harbaugh. Harbaugh's name I've read is not lined up for that job. But you need to get somebody in there and you need to let them do their thing and not butt heads or have the GM get involved or whatever it is. Because since nineteen ninety five, so twenty six years, mm-hmm. they've only made the playoffs six times. Yeah. And they've only won the division twice. And you can't sit here and say, Oh, it's because the Patriots ran the division. Yeah, you can say that for one of them. That was in 2008, you know, they won the division, but that was also the year Brady blew his knee out in the first game of the year. You know, and then also their only other division win in the last century, or the last this century, was in 2000. Yeah. It's just what Miami does. So unless they have somebody locked and loaded to come in there that's going to make a big splash, this movie is very puzzling. And, and I know Miami, and, and I can say this because, again, I've my cousin who I've known my entire life is a diehard Miami Dolphins fan. I know y'all love to live on that 1977 perfect Stop. perfect record season. That's great, and you definitely, that's a feather in your cap nobody can take away from you. But Don Shula and those guys aren't walking through the goddamn door anytime soon. They that's... are not coming to bail your ass out. And it looks great and all if you're in Canton, Ohio, or you're down in Miami at the stadium checking out whatever memorabilia they might got down there. But when it comes to between the numbers and between the uprights, it don't mean fucking shit. No, right now, I mean, it, it was what has he done for me lately. And that's the problem Miami has. Trust me, I know with Miami fans, and that's why I say I, I kid around when I say about, you know, the goats and such, because this organization has not been great since Shula left. I'm sorry, even Jimmy Johnson couldn't turn the ship around. No, if he had three years and he three playoff berths, but no wins. Exactly. So for Miami, 
this move is puzzling, but I understand what they're doing because they didn't have faith in Flores. But this is something that has been a track record they've done. So not saying I agree with it because I don't, but I understand what they did. Sure. Because, because this is the pattern they do. Unless they think that they are still the Miami of the Shula era where you think you're going to get that big free agent coach to come in. I don't know who you're going to get to come in right now. You must have somebody lined up if you made this move. It, it's going to be Christ. I don't know who they're going to do. You know, it, Whoever it is, good luck to you. Exactly, because I don't see how you're turning this ship around. Uh, just a couple more names that we got left. Uh, Anthony Lynn, who was the uh, offensive coordinator of the Detroit Lions, has been let go. No surprise there. Yeah, no, you know, kind of a little surprising, actually, but I can see why, though. I mean, yeah. obviously, when you're yeah. going three and whatever, it's not going to have job stability because you're not putting points on the ball. Yeah. Uh, and then lastly, but certainly not leastly, especially if Coach were here, uh, Dave Gettleman was fired. Or, wait, I'm sorry, air quotes. Retired. Yeah. Retired air quotes uh, from his senior vice president and general manager job. I know Giants fans are super excited. Good luck finding somebody in there to fix that mess. Yeah, you need to get somebody in there that can really do some work. Yeah. It's it's a primetime job, though. I will say that. But if Joe Judge is still your coach. Which, again, quarterback sneak on third and nine with your ass against your own end zone. Brilliant job, the, Joe. Yeah. Brilliant job. It doesn't make a lot of sense of that move. And, I mean, quite frankly... If you're going to go into that organization, you, you got your work cut out for you. You got work to cut out. You got to go get a franchise quarterback. Daniel Jones is completely not the guy. Oh, hell no. You have a lot of bad contracts for your wide receivers. I said it. Yeah. You don't have anybody on wide receivers. Sorry. Yeah. Your running back, listen, Saquon's best years, I think, I, I fear are already behind him. I hate saying Which, that. Which, as a Penn State fan, pains the shit out of oh, me. Oh, I, 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 he, he was electric in college. Oh, yeah, but I think just in the pros, it just it hasn't panned out for him for whatever reason. Obviously, they don't have an offensive line around him, so I get that point, too. Yeah. But for the Giants, there's so much that you need to do to really steer that ship around into the right direction. I don't know who you get in there, but, I mean, obviously, replacing Gettleman is going to help. But Yeah, the, the, like I said, it's got a lot of work out of whoever fills in. Yeah, you need to fix that offensive line first and foremost and then decide what you're going to do with Daniel Jones because he ain't the guy. Sorry. It, there is no ifs, ands, or buts. You drafted way too high for him. He has not panned out. Nope. And, unfortunately, I think at this stage, his best days are gone behind him, same as Saquon. And, yeah. I, and like I say, I'm not taking any relish in this. This is not a team that I don't like. Like when I talk about Miami, oh yes, I don't mind ripping them because sure. I'm not a fan of them. Sure, that is my rivals as a Bills fan. I do not have nice things to say, but I keep it very PG. However, with the Giants, there's so much work to get done to get relevant again. It's going to be a project. Like if Jim Harbaugh went there, and I'm not saying that he wouldn't because that's a high-profile job with his pedigree. Could he turn that around? Absolutely, but. I, obviously, they're not going to have him this year unless no. he decides to say one more year in Michigan and they do some deal where he comes in. Yeah. But they're going to need to get somebody in there to really steer that ship around ASAP. And getting a new GM in that's not completely influenced by Gettleman and gets a whole new fresh take on players is something they sorely need. Until they do that, they're still going to be the most irrelevant team in their division. Sorry, I did say that. But that's what happens when you get into the coaching carousel. Uh-huh. And with so many moving parts going on, I'm sure we're going to hear a couple other names get released this week, unfortunately. Not wishing anybody get fired, but yeah. it is, it's a business. And if you don't produce, this is what happens in the league. So to see who else could come in and do some damage is going to be a great topic for conversation this week. So hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. 
What is your thoughts about the current coaching carousel going on in the NFL? Who do you see going where and why? Let's discuss, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Sunny Hepburn. And I'm Brandy Fleets. And we're from Book Book of Lies, the podcast, where we discuss liars, cheats, and thieves, scammers, and dirty, rotten scoundrels. You can tune in for new episodes every Tuesday to hear about another lowdown, dirty liar. And learn how to spot them. So that's Book of Lies podcast. You can connect with us on social media, Twitter at Book of Lies Pod, Facebook and Instagram at Book of Lies Podcast. Bye. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast and time to talk some wrestling. Wrestling. Well, who would have thought the biggest news of this past week would have been a throwaway line on WWE SmackDown? A throwaway line and an accompanying tweet. Yes, because this past Friday night, the WWE did something that I don't think a lot of fans were expecting. No. This move definitely threw a lot of people off. It wouldn't have surprised me, but in the way it went about, did. Yes. So what they decided to do is, obviously, at the end of the month is the Royal Rumble, which, if you're not Mm -hmm. familiar with, is their 30-man and 30-woman over-the-top battle royal. The winner gets a title shot of their choosing at said champions uh, at WrestleMania, the biggest show of the year. Yep. And what they decided to do this year is they announced most of the field for the women's Royal Rumble. Yeah, I I think they announced... Probably, I think they did the SmackDown side, or, or no, they didn't. Even no, do they did both. They did both. I think they did probably about half of the field. Whereas with the men, they've kind of been drawing it. Years past, they've done matches to qualify for the Royal Rumble, or and then some years, especially this year, they're kind of like doing it drawn out a little bit, like in groups. This year, though, they I think they announced on Friday like half of the women's field. Yeah, they did, and obviously they're bringing back some old faces that we haven't seen in a while. Summer the, Ray. Summer Ray was that was a surprise. That was arguably one of the biggest surprises because I know that she's been doing uh, a lot of acting lately uh-huh. and uh, modeling too. If you follow her on Instagram, already in a feud, so to speak, with uh, Natalia on Twitter. Go read that interaction, yo. Yeah, if you forgot about the last time she was in WWE, they're bringing up a lot of the old past. Uh-huh. So take it for what it is, folks. Uh, it's, uh, it's very, very interesting reading. Also, you have the Bella Twins coming back. Yep, that's not a surprise. That wasn't really a big surprise because no. you figured that that would happen at some point for however long, though we don't know. But the biggest announcement of people coming back to the Royal Rumble that we've heard on men's and women's side had to be Mickey James. Which wasn't entirely a surprise. I'm like, all right, that makes sense. She's a former competitor, you know, a legend in her own right. But the thing that made it surprising was when they were talking about the folks, Pat McAfee on the sh- on the show said, Impact Women's Champion, which I was like, oh, okay, that's it. Now, Pat McAfee never given a script, never told what's going to happen, just says whatever comes off the top of his head, and, you know, whether he gets in trouble or not, be damned. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I was like, well, maybe that was just him kind of breaking kayfabe a little bit and speaking to the folks at home. But then the thing that was like, oh, this isn't them, him just saying shit. WWE posted an accompanying tweet mentioning him. Now, they didn't mention, per se, like the at symbol impact, but they did specifically name impact women's champion in said tweet. Yeah, this was definitely surprising because obviously when Mickey was let go, it was not on the friendliest of terms. To say the least. No, there was obviously the infamous everything I had was put into a garbage bag and sent to me. Yep. 
And obviously, WWE dealt with that accordingly. Yep. But Mickey has been tearing it up on the indies, most importantly at Impact yeah. and uh, uh, throughout the different organizations, too. I mean, she's been on fire lately. And to see her get announced as the Impact Women's Wrestling Knockouts Champion uh-huh. on WWE television was very, very surprising. Yeah. I mean, my honest reaction was, oh, wait, somebody didn't censor Pat. But uh-huh. when they went doubling in uh-huh. and tweeted it, it was like, uh-huh. what do we have going on here? That, I had the exact same reaction. Yeah, because WWE notoriously has not really opened the quote-unquote forbidden door. They didn't even mention him until the last couple of years. You know, I know Kurt Angle on the wall when he was general manager of Raw, you know, and you had Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn were tag teaming together. You know, and they were not attached to any brand, you know, quote unquote. Kurt Angle had the line. He's like, hey, I don't have any space for it on my roster, but I hear Impact's hiring. Yeah, which was very interesting. But WWE has never really had an, a real adversary feel to the Scott Demore-led Impact. No. Obviously, when they were feuding way back when in the Dixie Carter era. Yeah. That was something. And like I said, with Dixie Carter, it was, you know, Hulk Hogan was involved, and it was the Monday nights, you know, we're going head-to-head, blah, blah, blah. When you have that kind of animosity, Vince does not really play well. No. But over the years, Scott DeMore has definitely done a lot of really good things with Impact, in my opinion. Yeah. And obviously, they were the first ones to open that, quote-unquote, forbidden door. And what we mean by that is when they are inviting wrestlers from other organizations onto their programming. Uh Uh-huh. And this was a very big deal when they decided to play ball with All Elite Wrestling. Uh-huh. Because when they had Kenny Omega appear with Don Callis, and he announced he was going to appear on Impact Wrestling to explain what was going on there, the internet broke. Because this is the first time that you've seen a major organization team up with another major independent promotion to have joint storylines going. It was very, very innovative for the time. However, since that started, it was met with very mixed results. Uh huh. Now, Pad, what is your feeling about the original Forbidden Door? I mean, it was an exciting concept, you know, just because the thought of promotions that competed with each other, whether it be directly or indirectly, I thought would never happen. Mm-hmm. You know, so but ultimately, what it ended up being was a bit of a letdown, just because did we get to see some cool moments? Sure, was it cool to see Benny, Kenny, Benny? Kenny, you know, win a whole bunch of belts. Yeah, it was cool. But it, ultimately, what I the payoff for that wasn't what I expected it to be. So it was cool for a you know it was cool for a hot cup of tea. But ultimately, I think it's going to be by and large forgotten in a couple of years. It was interesting for the initial start of it. Yeah. However, though, if you're going to get into a partnership, it's got to be fifty fifty. Uh huh. And when Impact was allowing Tony Khan and AEW to do those infomercials where they were ripping Impact to shreds. They were they were letting AEW shit in their own house. Yeah. On, on the carpet. That was a telling sign that this is not working. Uh-huh. And I don't understand what is going on here. But when you're not looked at as an equal, you're looked at as big brother, little brother. That's not a good look for your organization. No, and I no. think Tommy Dreamer put it best on a tweet. To paraphrase, and he said the same thing. Uh-huh. He goes, "How are you? Why are you letting them come on here and completely rip us? Yet, how many wrestlers of ours 
are going uh-huh. on AEW Dynamite to uh-huh. appear. And you could say, well, the Good Brothers did, uh, Gallows and Anderson. Yeah. Yes, but did they defend the belts on there multiple no. times? Were they no. just the lackeys of the Young Bucks? You have to look at stuff like that. I also think the, the Forbidden Door for that run could have been a lot better if they'd have let women go through. How many women went through that Forbidden Door? You could have had some amazing and astounding matches take place mm-hmm. between those two companies. How many took place? None. None to my knowledge. None. And, None. I, and I know Mickey James liked a tweet saying as much, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, you know, the, you know, for as much as that Forbidden Door did, how many women went through? Yeah, and that was another letdown that they had because Impact's women's division is right up there with WWE's. If you have not yeah. if you have not seen their women's division, they put on some fantastic matches. Even this past week at Hard to Kill, their pay-per-view, yeah. they had an Ultimate X match, oh, yeah. which is insane, but they absolutely crushed the shit out of that match. But this is where that partnership didn't work out, and then ultimately... Kenny Omega became their champion, yeah. took the belt to to Dynamite, did nothing where you would have figured maybe somebody from Impact would have came on to challenge him. He just did a whole bunch of vignettes from inside an RV. Yeah, and it ultimately got nowhere until Christian Cage took the belt from him a couple weeks prior to All Out in it, the summer. It was cool to see him do it at the initial run because he, he won the AEW title, and then he won the AAA title, and then he won you know, the the Impact title. And there was fan speculation for a while that he was going to win all of the belts. Like, he was going to go back to New Japan and win the New Japan belt, and he was going to go to NWA and win the NWA belt. And that would have been really cool to see, and especially for, I know, the payoff people wanted to see was him versus Okada again, which would have been fucking insane. Yeah. And I would have been here for it. But ultimately, it ended with dropping the, the AAA belt, dropping the, you know, a, losing the AEW belt, and then losing the Impact belt, which... All right, for as much as you could have done, it let off like a flat tire. Oh, it definitely did. So the experiment did not work. No. Christian Cage was allowed to go over to AE or to Impact to defend the belt, ultimately losing it, and thus they have their different storylines going on now. Yeah. So to see WWE dip their toe in the pool, so to speak, is very, very interesting. Especially with the rumors going around, and no, they are just that rumors is that there might be a forbidden door entrant into the men's Royal Rumble match. Who well, that would be, I don't know. Well, that's the whole thing. The, the speculation is now running wild. Uh-huh. I will tell you this. My speculation is it is Okada. Oh, fucking hell. And if you The see, roof will blow off that joint more than it did for AJ showing up. Let me put it something. Holy up. fuck. I'm going to put it this in perspective. Oh, my God. If Okada walks out at the Royal Rumble. Oh, God. Twitter is crashing. Oh, God. Twitter's done. On wrestling Twitter will be done for like a good half hour, hour. Oh, Jesus. You're going to see the wildest tweets out there. And I'm going to say this, if WWE is smart, because... Then there have been rumors of them trying to work together. Yeah, and I I will say this, if you see New Japan show up, that's the biggest needle mover they can get. If Impact showed up and you see Moose walk out their current champion, or Sammy Callahan... That'd be good. That'd be good, but I'm telling you, if they get Okada, I do not want to be anywhere near the AEW brass, because for how they've been trying to hopefully get that match going... Uh Uh-huh. Because there, there would be only one other person that could top that that would send shockwaves through everything. Yeah. If Kenny Omega walks out. Oh, fucking hell. I don't think there's any way in hell that's going to happen. Never say never. But, fuck. 
That would be the only thing, the only two competitors that I could see walking out to have that uh, Royal Rumble moment. Yeah. That would move the needle that badly. Because if you ever saw, and I know they've been very cordial as of late, AEW and WWE. Sure. If you saw some kind of forbidden door go on where Kenny Omega, who's currently out right now getting some well-needed time off. Yeah. Says, you know what, I got enough to go in for, you know, the Royal Rumble for whatever. Yeah. That would send shockwaves through all of wrestling. Or, and for, or could you imagine, because the current speculation, it hasn't been officially confirmed, but Roman needed an opponent for the Rumble because Brock's taking on Lashley at the Rumble. So Seth smartly did the shield entrance as knocking on the door. That was hysterical. That was great. So it's it's sounding like it's going to be Seth versus Roman at the Rumble. Can you imagine if Dean show, or sorry, Dean if Moxley showed up? Um, I, I don't think it would, but can you imagine if that happened? If that showed up and they made it a triple threat, I think that would be very interesting. I will tell you this. I'll mark out like a madman if he walks out with a GCW title. Oh, that'd be awesome. I will lose my shit. That'd be great. I Trust me, you will not want to be around me when that happens because I'm going to already tell you this. Like That will be an epic moment if he did. But that's where you kind of look and have to say, okay, what is the WWE really doing ultimately here? And especially with as much bad PR as they've had. And it's a lot. It's, and it's a lot, and rightfully so. Like I said, they're not getting a hall pass for every release they've done and, no. and all the really questionable moves from a fan perspective. I understand from business why they're doing sure. it. But from a fan perspective, this is one way to really generate a huge buzz to the Royal Rumble. Not that you would need to. No, but if it can lead to that and then lead to a matchup with somebody from New Japan or maybe an impact, you know, at Mania, that'd be insane. Oh, yeah, it'd be absolutely crazy. I mean, the thing is, impact is obviously not as big as no. New Japan. And, no. and, and, you know, it's you not... Can it's, still, you can still have some fun with it. Oh, though. absolutely. It's not a knock against impact. Impact, I will say this, if you've not watched their pay-per-views, yeah. always solid work. Always. Oh yeah, and 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 especially with Gallows and Anderson are still at Impact, have them show up and start feuding with, say Finn and AJ. Finn and AJ are on the same show right now. Now some AEW fans might go, "Oh, they're just copying what they did when they were doing the, the AEW running." Yeah, but it means more, to, especially to old school, you know, New Japan fans and the Bullet Club fans. It's cool to see Cody and the Bucks and Kenny and Gallows and Anderson get together. Means a hell of a lot more if you got two of the OGs of the Bullet Club back together. Facts. Absolute facts, Pad. It is a really crazy time to think about this. I mean, this could all be for nothing, too. We have to remember if this is a one and done for the Royal Rumble and with Mickey James coming back, it's a nice moment. Yeah. Not a, like I said, not entirely a surprise that she's she's going to be there because she used to wrestle for him. So I, I can see Impact saying, yeah, you know what? Go wrestle there for a night. So that's not surprising. What's surprising was Pat McAfee saying it and going, okay, maybe this is just him unscripted and they're just rolling with it and letting him do it because it's live television. But for them to then go out and name the promotion in a tweet, which they don't do, no, was surprising and got a lot of people speculating. Well, that's the biggest factor that we have to watch now moving forward. Because if Mickey did defeat Diana Perazzo at Hard to Kill. Yep. If she walks out there with the Impact Women's title. Yo. That's a big win for Impact. Yo. And if you sit there and think, no, it's just a throwaway moment, no, 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 no. no. That's Impact letting her do it, and that's Vince letting her do it. Yeah. and I Vince has got final say. And if Vince is finally willing to play ball with other organizations, WWE, for all that negative press, could 
maybe slowly start turning some wins back in their favor. Uh-huh. Slowly. This is not going to be an overnight thing, and the AEW extremists are going to be very anti this. Yeah. But let's face it. WWE is still the straw that serves the drink. Yep. They're still the number one brand out there. Did like $2.1 million on Friday for SmackDown. Exactly. AEW did $1 million on TBS, which is good. Yeah. I'm, I'm, and it's not a slight against them. That's what they've been averaging. So, and especially for a card that they had, was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, Rampage numbers, don't really know right now. Rampage was Rampage. Yeah. But in the Battle of the Belts... Uh, it happened. Uh, folks won. Folks lost. Uh, there were commercials. Yeah, it was kind of a letdown uh, for a couple different reasons. But, I mean, it was it was solid matches, but it was obviously they had to do a big switch at the main event of it. Yeah. And that's something yeah. that's out of their hands. So just kind of lost a little of the steam that it was going in with. But we'll kind of have to wait to see what they do because now with the TBS era, AEW's really got to make some moves. But the fact that WWE decided to drop that with one simple tweet... Really yeah. got wrestling fans talking. And now the possibilities are endless. What could happen if they play their cards right? Because with the Royal Rumble, this is something that old school fans tune in for all the time. The casual watchers will tune in. Oh, yeah. Even the AEW extremists will tune in. Oh, yeah. And if you say you're not, you're lying. Exactly. We know you. We're not going to say your names, but we know you. This is a moment that everybody's going to be watching because they're going to have so much moving forward with this. WWE could really have a lot of hype going into WrestleMania, and I think that that's a win-win if they're willing to play ball with other organizations. If they're willing to do work with Impact, that's huge. If they get New Japan involved... Oh, that's even bigger. All bets are off. Oh, fuck. And then if you tell me that you could see Kenny Omega walk out there... Can you imagine, if, let's just say, if New Japan and WWE start working together and you have Okada show up on... Royal Rumble, and then you have him be the next feud with Roman. That would be huge. And the numbers SmackDown would do? Holy fuck, we'd be talking numbers they haven't seen since the uh, Attitude Era. Four or five. Uh-huh. Easy. Uh-huh. That's how much of a needle mover Okada is. Uh-huh. I'll play this to end the segment with just fantasy booking. If WWE has hypothetically Okada number one and Omega number two. Oh, God. Jesus, Mary and Joseph. That would be nuts. The net will melt. Uh-huh. Just going to put that out there. Because now all bets are off pending on one little tweet. Who would have thought, Pad, that this would have been the biggest wrestling story of the week? Not me. Definitely not me going into it, but now we've got so much to talk about, and we definitely want to recap with you about that as well. So hit us up on that hashtag. Hashtag ODPHpod. One little tweet stirred up all this fantasy booking and the possibilities for WWE to really make some noise going into the Royal Rumble. We definitely want to know. Let us talk about this, shall we? And remember to check out the latest episode of 607 TWS because we're going to be talking a little more about wrestling going on, especially the stacked GCW card going on this weekend too. So much wrestling to discuss on all the 607 podcast platforms. Make sure you're following. Make sure you're interacting because we definitely want to talk. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideroom Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the oceans, or the plains 
Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got for that local minute? Got to talk some Binghamton Black Bears hockey uh, because looking at the standings, they're currently in fourth place with a record of 12-11. and 11. Uh, They got Danbury ahead of them with a record of 15-6-2. Columbus in second place with a record of 13-5-3. And, and then you've got Watertown just absolutely running away with things with a record of 19-3. and three. Damn. Yeah, looking at their schedule uh, for this past week, they had a game on Friday uh, where they uh, beat... Uh, the Port Huron Prowlers by the final score of 7-4, to four, uh, and then they beat them again on Saturday uh, by the final score of 7-3. to three. Looking ahead to the games they got this coming week uh, on Friday, January 14th, uh, 7 o'clock Eastern, they have a home game against the Danbury Hat Tricks, uh, and then Saturday at 7 o'clock, they're on the road uh, at 7 o'clock playing the Danbury Hat Tricks, uh, and then they're playing again on Sunday, January 16th, uh, special start time of 3 p.m. Eastern, note that, 3 p.m., uh, where they're playing the Watertown Wolves. Mm. Uh, more stats, ticket info, and information, uh, Binghamton blackbears.com all right so that being said time for those last rolls what we got to kick off this week got two things to talk about first of which we got to talk a return and a very welcome return uh after i believe it was 916 days was the final day count that long yeah it was so damn long ago that like i think i shared it on twitter that like uh the last time so this is from bleacher report the last time uh clay thompson played in the nba it looked a lot different uh russell westbrook and paul george were still on the oklahoma city thunder wow Kyrie was still in boston (laughs) kevin durant was still with the uh, golden state warriors and james harden was still in houston that feels like so long ago i know it feels like a decade and a half ago but so it's been a hot minute but clay thompson after injuring himself in the 2019 nba playoffs uh with a a, what was it i believe it was an acl tear no it was an achilles I think it was an Achilles, uh, one of the two, hurt himself. And then during rehab in the following offseason, hurt himself again, so he missed another full season. Uh, made his triumphant return to the NBA last night as we record, uh, going up against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Golden State won, by the way, final score of 96-82. to 82. But the stats everyone wants to talk about is Clay Thompson making his triumphant return. Uh, 17 points with, uh, where is it, there it is, three rebounds, one assist, uh, one block, uh, you know, in 20 minutes of play. So, not a bad start, you know, to for his return. Went three of eight from the uh, from the three point line, you know. So the Splash Brothers are back. He's got to work his way back into things and and get used to it and ease back into it. But hey, it's good to see him back on the court. It's great to see him back on the court. I mean, Curry and company have been doing what they can do without without him. But let's face it. I mean, you know, Golden State is the Splash Brothers. Uh huh. So to see Clay back with him. Is truly a scary sight for anybody in the Western Conference, and, and especially the the Warriors, who only have like nine losses or something absurd like that. Like, yeah. fuck. Yeah, they've only gotten better. So, this could be a very, very quick road to the playoffs for them. Yeah, easily. Oh yeah, and then got to talk some baseball. No, they're still in the labor lockout, and no, we're not talking about Eric Chavez leading leaving the Yankees for the Mets because fuck him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> No, we're actually talking some good news with the Yankees and good news for baseball in general. Uh, It's been reported by The Athletic that Rachel Balkovic will manage the low-A team uh, for the New York Yankees this season, making her the first 
female skipper in affiliated professional baseball, uh, again, according to a report by by The Athletic. Uh, She joined the team as a minor league hitting coach in November 2019, uh, and she's going to lead the uh, minor league Tampa Tarpons. Uh, She's 34 years old from Omaha, Nebraska. She got her first position in pro ball with the St. Louis Cardinals as a minor league strength and conditioning coach in 2012. Uh, She's a former softball catcher at Creighton and New Mexico, uh, she moved from the Cardinals to the Houston Astros in 2016. She was hired as the Latin American Strength and Conditioning Coordinator, a position for which she uh, learned Spanish. She later became the Strength and Conditioning Coach at the A Corpus Christi. Uh, she briefly, I'm reading from an article on ESPN.com, uh, she left baseball in 2018 to pursue a second master's degree at, uh, good Lord, uh, V-R-I-J-E University in the Netherlands. Wow. Uh, where she also worked with the country's national baseball and softball teams. She then worked for Driveline Baseball, a data-driven baseball center that has trained numerous major leaguers before being hired by New York. Quote, I view my path as an advantage, Belkovic told the Associated Press in 2019. I had uh, had to do probably much more than maybe a male counterpart, but I like that because I'm so much more prepared for the challenges that I might encounter. She also, uh, in speaking with uh, MLB.com, said, quote, I'm a product of the women who have come before me in sports, close quote. So to her, I say congratulations. That is a huge move for her. It's a huge move for baseball, and I would say she she is very much qualified. God damn. Without question, huge move for baseball. Fantastic move to do. I'm super excited about yeah. this. And do you talk about qualified? Holy shit. She's very qualified. Like I don't care what your gender is. If you are qualified, you're hired. Absolutely. Awesome news to hear. Awesome. Yeah. So switching to my last role, uh, Max Holloway, unfortunately, though, is not having a good day. It was announced that he is no longer going to be fighting Alexander Volkanovsky at UFC 272. He aggravated a prior injury, so he is out of the card right now. Bomber. Yeah, so I am not sure who he's going to be facing. I know Volkanovsky has put out some messages. Korean Zombie. Give it to me, man. I Uh will mark out if Korean Zombie gets that title shot. It's the UFC. If they want to make that move, I think that's the right one to do under the circumstances. I know you can say, what about rankings, blah, blah, blah. Rankings rankings in UFC matter as much as they do in AEW. Yeah. And especially if you want to raise the prices of pay-per-views now, which I believe are $75.99. Hey! It's it's been raised up a a bit. I didn't catch it all. I saw it was raised, and I'm just going... If you're raising the prices of your pay-per-views, you better make sure those cards are stacked. And if you're going to raise the prices, you better damn well pay the fighters. Yeah, facts. Because if you're raising prices and you're getting multi-million dollar pay-per-view buys, you can justify it. Yeah, you have to. Because if you're just putting on mediocre cards, they're not going to do any damage in the box offices. At the end of the day, like you need to start paying your fighters. Yes, it is seventy nine ninety nine. Hey, Jesus, that's a yeah. Lot. Which I mean, this is crazy. About I mean, like I say, you could argue. Well, you know, they've been going up steadily over the t- past, you know, time wise. Listen, it doesn't matter if you're going to be putting out cards that are almost a hundred dollars. You got to really make sure you're stacking those cards. Uh huh. And it doesn't have to be like huge household names, top to bottom, but like. Give me more than just, like, the, the main main event is stacked. Yes. And I understand they got two title fights on this card, which, I mean, that would justify that. Sure. Because you're finally going to get the rematch with uh, Peter Yan and uh, Aljamain Sterling. Which is long overdue. Long overdue. Yan all day in that one. I'll give you that early prediction. I don't see that changing anytime soon. But for Volkanovski, this would be a primetime opponent for him. Because, like I say, you can try plugging and playing somebody in there that makes sense. But to really be ready to go in March... It's a short amount of time, so a few fighters would really step up. 
And no, Donald Cowboy Cerrone is not coming through the door. So UFC is going to have to see who's going to be taking on the Featherweight King. And we'll definitely be talking about it as soon as they announce that opponent. But let's go Korean Zombie. That would be so dope to see. That would be so good. And to close out this edition of the ODPH podcast, we have to say we have crowned a new champion in Locks and Leaps. Uh Uh-huh. Hailing from Tennessee, it is the one and only JT from the East Coast Avengers. So he will be getting a T-shirt mailed out to him with the logo, the championship shirt. Is in there and is getting processed. And Pad, you're getting yours too. That's why I'm still waiting on mine. Yeah, I know. We we've now worked out a deal to get those done, so that will be finally uh, coming to fruition. So we'll be mailing JTs out to him in the upcoming weeks. But to close out, though, we thought we'd talk the NFL playoff picture that we predicted way back when on the original playoff show. Yeah, no, and we actually ironically got, you know, this right a lot more than you would have thought of. Uh, So this is from back when we did the preview show uh, for the AFC East. Uh, This is between Ken, uh, myself, and Rich. We all chose the Buffalo Bills, so hey, kudos to us. Yeah. Got that right. Uh, Got the NFC North wrong. We all chose the Cleveland Browns, but hey, you know. Uh, In the AFC South, we chose the uh, Tennessee Titans, so hey. Kudos. Got that one right. Uh, and then out west, we all chose the Kansas City Chiefs. So, hey, three out of the four three divisions out of four. ain't bad. Uh, out in the NFC, we all chose Dallas to win the NFC East. So, yep. hey, got that one. Rolling. Uh, NFC North, we all chose the Green Bay Packers. So, hey, Facts. got that one. Uh, and then in the NFC South, we all chose the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So, hey, kudos to us. Still rolling. Uh, we all got the NFC West wrong, though, because we all chose Seattle. So, yikes. Uh, and then for the uh, playoffs, I will mention, you know, since I already went over the division winners, uh, for the wild card, Ken had the Baltimore Ravens. Whoops. Yep. And the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, hey, one out of two ain't bad. Uh, didn't know that there were going to be extra ones in there. So, hey, well, apologies. Uh, myself, I had the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, whoops. <laughs> and then the New England Patriots. So, hey, one out of two. Uh, and then Rich as, as well had the Baltimore Ravens and the New England Patriots. So, hey, uh, one, out of, one out of two for the three of us ain't bad. One out of two is not bad. Yeah. So I'll take that as a win. Uh, Rich and myself are still in it for AFC champions uh, with the Buffalo Bills. Ken is eliminated from that. Uh, and then for the NFC champions, we're all still in with that. Ken and Rich taking Tampa Bay, uh, myself taking the Green Bay Packers. And as such, our uh, Super Bowl winners are all still intact, obviously, because Ken and Rich chose Tampa Bay. Uh, I chose the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, we're riding high in the NFC. Um, the picks might change a little bit now. I mean, obviously, yeah. I I was drinking the Cleveland Kool-Aid because on paper, they should have done the job. Should have. But you know what? That's why I ride with my Buffalo Bills in real life. Yeah. But this week, though, all the playoff games are going down, so why don't we give a quick preview and we'll go from there. Yeah, so this is Wild Card Weekend uh, on Saturday at 4.30 Eastern on NBC. I believe you'll also be able to stream it on Peacock as well if you have a Peacock, subscrip- uh, Peacock subscription. Yes. Uh, you've got the Las Vegas Raiders at the Cincinnati Bengals. Calling the upset right now, Raiders. I'm going to say Cincinnati. Okay. Uh, and then in the probably most anticipated matchup of the weekend, you've got the new, uh, at 8.15 on CBS, also on Paramount Plus, I believe, if you have a Paramount Plus subscription, uh, the New England Patriots at the Buffalo Bills. I think if you've listened to the show long enough, you know who we're going with, so we're not even going to address that. Yeah, shouldn't need to say it. No. Uh, then on Sunday at 1 o'clock Eastern, you have the Philadelphia Eagles at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tampa big. It should be Tampa, but hey, listen, it's the playoffs. Weird shit's happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, at 4.30 Eastern on CBS, you have the San Francisco 49ers taking on the Dallas Cowboys. Should be Dallas. 
It should be Dallas. As, as good as they're clicking, you got Micah Parsons playing real well. Uh, Diggs on defense is still there. Offense is looking real good. Should be Dallas. 49ers. Ooh, okay. And the upset of the weekend. All right. Sorry, Dre. Well, that's all right. Uh, and then at 8.15 uh, on NBC, you have the Pittsburgh Steelers taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. So who do I want to win? Pittsburgh. Yeah. Who's going to win in probably a slaughter? Kansas City. Uh, let me, yeah, I'm, I'm. Listen, I'm in the same boat. I would like to see Ben win one more game in the playoffs and right off into the sunset, but I don't think it's going to happen. Christ. Kansas City's currently a 12.5-point favorite. Listen, the one thing about Kansas City at home, you know it's virtually impossible to beat them. They're going to come in. That offense is just too damn quick. Uh-huh. That's the thing that scares me. So unless Pittsburgh can scheme away in six days to slow them down, it's going to be a long day. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm hoping I'm wrong, though. I the really over-under is like 46.5, and, and I'm going to say most of that's probably going to be from Kansas City. Yeah, I could see this being like a 38-7-something. Yeah, I'm, I'm fearing. Like I'm, I'm, I hope I'm wrong. I really want to stress that. Yeah. Uh, and then on Monday, you've got, uh, for the first ever you know ESPN uh, NFL playoff game, or might be one of the few, I don't remember, uh, you've got at 8.15 Eastern, uh, Arizona at the L.A. Rams. That one should be good. That'll be a fun game. But, like we said, no DeAndre Hopkins. It's currently Rams by four. Yeah, I take that. I take the Rams. I, I, I'm, I'm rooting for Arizona, but, oh, I'm, yeah. but I'm taking the Rams. So... Man, it's it's crazy with three days of football. I know it's awesome. Yes, and slime time too on Sunday. Yeah, say the uh, Nickelodeon is going to be doing a game again, which I might honestly might uh, flip back and forth between. Yeah, that's all I'm excited about. I just want to catch that game after the Bills game because we got priorities. This is true. Oh, all that being said, though, Pad, the music you heard on this edition of the ODPH is that of Brian Wolf. He's a good friend of us. He has announced he does have that single coming our way. Hey. So hopefully we get that in sooner than later. I know he's got a big release party down in Austin, tentatively scheduled for it. But if I want to find out everything going on with Brian, where do I go? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You swing on over to the music section. You check out everything going on with every great musician that gives us their music to play on the podcast. So whether it's Brian Wolf's Shot of the Robots, Second Suitor, Tom Jolu, Yard Party, Floodlands, the list goes on and on. Go support the hell out of them. They're all fantastic people. I am super excited to go listen to some new music, too. And uh, when we get that Brian Wolf single, guarantee you it's coming on the show that day. Also, while you're at the website, check out the directory, which has more podcast providers of the ODPH on it. Pat, how many are we up to now? Like 13,000. And four. The list keeps going on and on and on. So if we are not on your favorite podcast player, let us know and we will try adding that to the directory. Because otherwise you just go there and go, okay, what am I listening to? Am I listening to you on Spotify? Boom, it's right there. Oh, what about Apple Podcasts? Boom, we're right there. How about Good Pods? Boom, we're right there. Any place that we are on is usually on that directory. And like we say, if we're not, we'll try fixing that best we can. Also, while you're at the website, check out the Classifieds, which has Friends of the Shore, Organizational Links Supporting Black Lives Matter, all the amazing pod groups we are in via their pod chaser pages. So shout out to the Inner Circle. Shout out to the Apollops. Shout out to our good fam over at 8122 Productions and all they're doing with 607 Podcasts. That, Parlay Points. Check out the blogs. New ones dropping this week. The T Public Store. All of that. So much more. ODPHpodcast.com. That's all I got for this week. So for the one only Padawan J. Fuck the Astros. And by the way, the catch from Montana to Clark, 40 years old today. Damn, I feel old. Uh-huh. I feel real old. I'm your host, kind of old and still feeling old. 
Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We'll see you next time. Sometimes I lay awake at night Wondering what life would be like If you weren't taken before your time The lessons you taught me Try to remember, try to engage Sometimes it feels just like I'm staring at an empty page I'd love to hear your thoughts on the world today